0: I'm a brand podcaster in the accounting, finance, and fintech space. Our flagship show, Accounting Influencers, is now one of the world's leading podcasts in this genre. And there's a number of spin-off shows over the years. This particular show is now focusing on talent, which, let's face it, is one of the biggest challenges for the accounting world at the moment. And the format stays the same. I interview the experts, the influencers, and the leaders in many different aspects of culture, talent, Employer brand succession, talent attraction, retention, soft skills, accounting credentials, qualifications, leadership, mental well-being, the brand of the profession, employee value propositions, employee engagement, increasing capacity and headcount in accounting firms, career development, and the usual HR, Atlen and Development, DEI, the great resignation, a ton of other talent-related issues in accounting. And whether you're hiring or being hired, happy where you are or considering a move, leading or following, employed or self-employed, totally skilled up and super employable or needing to refresh your skills, sharpen your personal brand, this is the perfect podcast for you accounting, finance and tech professionals to stay competitive, relevant and informed about all things talent in accounting. So let's get moving with today's show.
1: Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track.
0: Welcome to the Influencers in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown. I'm here with Kiati Sundaram for the second time. Katy great to have you on the show. We interviewed you a little while ago and we talked about how accounting firms might be missing out on top talent. We talked about the recruitment process. Would you just summarise that interview for us with the key points that we talked about on why things need to change with talent recruitment in accounting? Hi,
1: Rob. Thanks for having me again. So great to be back here. Definitely. That was a great podcast, I remember. Uh, The key points from that would be, for me, challenging the status quo. So how we hire currently, looking at the CV, starting the conversation of whether that is the right thing and the right way to screen, and building a more robust and fair hiring process. We
0: established that the recruitment process wasn't necessarily fit for purpose, and the accounting finance profession suffers as much as anyone. You touched on unconscious bias. I know this is a very deep area of expertise for you. So we're gonna talk about this in today's show. For the benefit of the uneducated in this area, you just define the term unconscious bias for us.
1: Yeah, so biases are of various nature will stick to unconscious bias, which is also called implicit bias. And these are biases that can lead to instinctive assumptions. And these assumptions may be something like, oh, the nurse has to be a woman. Engineer has to be a man. Or that an Asian woman can't make a good leader. And these are the kinds of biases that we call unconscious because they are ingrained in your head. And it's not, it's not a problem because we are tribal this is evolutionary this is how we're meant to be but if you have that apply that in a context of recruitment it makes a really really big catastrophic impact
0: there's a lot of psychology and uh sociology in this i'm sure i'm thinking of uh i know men particularly older men that don't think women should play golf they certainly don't think women should play football they don't like female commentators because what do they know about cricket and football and that that's an example of, obviously, a male-dominated world. But in accounting, as an example, we do have lots of females in accounting, but perhaps lower down the food chain, if I can say that, women are underrepresented in positions of authority and leadership and at the very top in the accounting profession. So there must be something going on, right? There
1: definitely is, again, lots of evidence. And there's written by psychologists, by academics, by behavioral scientists. And there's one in particular that I find really well, it's amusing, but also disheartening in a way. So there's something called a teddy bear effect. And I don't know if your audience has heard of it, but I find it really, really amusing.
0: A teddy bear effect.
1: So let's take a, a man who is not a white man. For the white man to progress in a career, let's take an accountant firm or a corporate firm, which is very, you know, ladder driven.
0: And as you tee this up, Kiati, sorry to interrupt, we've had Herschel Frierson on this show. He's the chairman of the National Association of Black Accountants in the United States. And we've also had Professor Anton Lewis on. He's a black academic in the US that talks a lot about uh, critical race theory. And the and both of them say black accountants is hard because as you're coming up into the profession and rising through the ranks, there's nobody like you to look at and say they are where I would like to be. They're further down the path that I'm going down. So as you tee this up with blacks and minorities and everything else, Talk to us again about this.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So there is a representation or a role model problem. But there's also an ingrained implicit bias problem, which is what I was alluding to with the teddy bear effect. Data has established that if a black man, for example, has to progress and come to the leadership positions, he has to look more baby-faced, effectively.
0: Baby-faced. Anton Lewis said, you can't turn up for an interview wearing dreadlocks as a black man, even though it has no reflection at all on whether you can do the job or not?
1: You can't. And if you're not baby-faced as a black man, you would struggle to go up the ladder. And the same thing applies as a corollary to women. Interestingly, if you're baby-faced or you look young as a woman, you will not progress. So you have to disarm that by being a bit more aggressive or being a bit more masculine in your looks and your behavior. So there's a lot of psychology that's going on that has to combat all of these ingrained biases. And all of of us have it. If you line 100 people, 99 will say they're not biased, but I can guarantee 100 of them are. Because it is is evolutionary, it is in our heads. And we have to have systems in place that can guard rail against against those.
0: There's a fascinating video, I'm sure you've seen it, many of our listeners have too, about a number of college students that are running a race. They start in a park, in a line together, and they have to run, say, 100 yards. And uh, the guy running the exercise says, if your parents are both still together, take two steps forward. If you are white, take two steps forward. If you had a college education, take two steps forward. And, of course, all the blacks and some of the females and the ethnic minorities, it's illustrative of how you start from the back of the queue and have to go so much further, harder, faster, just to stay on a par with your say, more privileged peers. Yeah,
1: I have seen that one. And it is it is quite emotional, at least as an ethnic minority. And if you translate that for testing on a CV or on grades, exactly the A that a white person gets is not equivalent to an A that a black person may be from a very different background and had struggled for 20 years to get those A's.
0: Or indeed somebody with dyslexia, how they've struggled to get to the same qualification but had to work so much harder.
1: Exactly. And you cannot test for that from a piece of paper or any piece of information that sits on that piece of paper.
0: We're starting to see how unconscious bias comes into the recruitment process and the impacts of that then are...
1: Oh, it can be catastrophic. So let's pick up a CV screening stage because the, the biases can come through at any point in the funnel. But just for an example, I'll pick up the CV screening page, uh, stage. So if you look at a CV a typical hiring manager would spend 10 seconds. And as a typical hiring manager, your brain will scan for patterns that you have yeah.
0: In, out, yes or no, and it's a split decision, seconds. isn't it?
1: Yes or no pile. Yes. So how I'm hiring for an accountant in a traditional status quo mechanism. Uh, okay, so Rob's been to a big four. Great, that's halo effect, check for Rob. I automatically assume Rob will be great at everything because he's worked at the big four. Maybe Rob's been to the same finance school as I have. Ah, Now, they're even more interesting to my brain because now I have affinity bias and I like where Rob went to school because I went to the same school. But maybe they then went to work for a bank that I hate because the bank took all my mortgage fees or something. And that's called the Horns effect. I start hating Rob for something that is not really important. Um, And... Maybe then there's other things that come into place. There's lots of different biases that are now starting to come into play. And this will all happen within a 10 second period. And you would instinctively take a decision for the yes or no part. And there is no absolute no robustness in that process. Well,
0: your process is so arbitrary there and it's personal. It goes back to your culture and your upbringing and your heritage and all those prejudices that you thought were absolutely normal. But in being so, you're discounting potentially some excellent candidates for the role.
1: Completely. So with Applied, another statistic that is mind boggling is we've now helped hire 15,000 people across different sectors, different industries across the globe uh, with with an application size of about half a million. So all of these people, we know that majority of them would not have got access to those economic opportunities if we had just used a traditional CV process. And this is both data that tells us that, but anecdotally, the people who've hired them come back to us and say, you know what? If I'd seen this person's CV, I would have thrown them in the bin. They would have never come to my interview stage. And that is that is the point of building a robust process on testing what matters.
0: Why does positive discrimination come into this, Kiati? I'm gonna hire... So many women, so many ethnic minorities, so many people from working class backgrounds will allow so many people from uh, comprehensive schools into our university. How does that play?
1: Well, as an intersectional woman, I find that a very difficult topic.
0: Rob. You, you are fully free to get on your soapbox and tell us how it is.
1: Um, I absolutely detest it. I detest it from a personal view because I don't think I would want a job where people thought of it as tokenism that I didn't really get the job because I had the ability to. I detest it from an organisational point of view because I've seen the backlash that when people are hired, even if there's rumours or some kind of cloud around the person who's hired and they've not been hired on what we call merit, there is a lot of backlash from the team around them. And they never felt like, they never feel like they belong. And you are setting that person up for failure. So there is a lot of social and emotional backlash and that is involved in that kind of process. And if you go to data, so evidence back, there is a lot of evidence to say that quotas don't work or diversity scorecards for the sake of diversity scorecards don't work. Why they are still in play, that's different.
0: Particularly with the the DEIA agenda, diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility. A lot of people deem that as a box ticking exercise. And you're right, let's fill our quota. Let's be seen to do the right thing and be seen to show equality of opportunity. But if you're just playing the game, that's not authentic.
1: Yeah, look, I understand why people are doing it. It's the first step. It's probably a quicker solution to say, oh, I should show that I have 50% women in my board. So you just go a quota, and then you hire 50% women on the board. And if you wanted a solution within a year, that's probably what you would do. But I don't think that's sustainable. That's not a sustainable, long-lasting solution that would keep us in this way we have to go for the next 50 years.
0: Quite right. So I'm, I'm thinking what the answers are now. I know somebody very well that thinks that women should not be in leadership roles in business. So can I train that person? Can I coach them? How can I change that unconscious bias that they have? Is it even possible?
1: My view, it's not possible to train it out. Okay. It is evolutionary. We, there are two types of biases. So let's take a step back. There's the explicit one, which is what you're alluding to. I believe women can't take leadership roles. Maybe you can talk to this person and maybe they say they're change their view publicly and therefore we would say that we've reduced the explicit bias but implicitly if that's how they're ingrained that's how their brain works that's how it works implicitly that philosophy would come through in their decision making unless there's a guardrail, unless there is a system telling them not to make that decision
0: that's like a child saying i'll do what you tell me to do but on the inside i'm saying no
1: exactly but all of us are children right <laughs> <laughs> so it is it is controversial unconscious bias training there's been a lot of evidence for and against. Sometimes it's work, sometimes it's not work. We know some of the big companies are doing it. We, you must have heard the latest from KPMG, who's running it for a few years now. We know people like the UK Civil service Services have stopped doing it because of backlash. So there are people still trying different methods. And there are benefits, but there are more drawbacks than benefits.
0: We're not just talking about recruitment now. We're talking about culture, teamwork, collaboration, innovation, having a really productive, bonded workforce with high morale, doing meaningful work, really getting along with each other. We have to break down a lot of these biases to make that happen. Yes,
1: definitely. And it is really, really complex. It's what psychologists or social scientists call a wicked problem. It is wicked because it is is so thorny. It cannot be solved in a vacuum. And when you start solving such problems in the real world, of course, there are issues that start coming through that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. Uh, but there are there are lots of layers there and they all have to be solved. And why I'm here is because I think Applied is doing a small bit in that big conversation.
0: Let's dip into it a little bit more then. Let's start with the benefits of unconscious bias training. What are the upsides of a firm introducing it, like, say, KPMG have done? How is that playing out?
1: There's, there is a couple. I won't deny that. There's It makes you aware of implicit bias.
0: And awareness is a start, isn't it?
1: Awareness is a step one, or rather, I'll call it step zero in the right direction. Um, it does confront these big societal issues that people might not be willing to confront. And it makes people uncomfortable. So for me, that's the biggest thing. It makes people uncomfortable. And that's probably the first step to change. Uh, what they do outside of that, it's it's different. because not often that translates into any change. And we saw that from... KPMG chairman who had made some comments on that, had to lose his job. But these things are prevalent in an organization. So yes, it does make you aware it confronts issues and it makes people uncomfortable to start talking about it. But I think that's where it stops.
0: Okay, so where it stops, it's clearly not working. So what are the drawbacks of unconscious bias training? It's
1: definitely not great at reducing bias. Uh, We have seen in a lot of evidence that in the best case, it might make the person aware, as we said, but in the worst case, it can treat the AI uh, as a tick box exercise, which you alluded to, Rob, before. So think of this. What happens as a normal unconscious bias training? You might have a 30-, 60-minute, sometimes um, three-hour training session. But how can we expect that training session to compete with a lifetime of absorbed prejudices, absorbed biases, structural inequalities, all of these problems? It, it cannot. There is no possible way that it can do that. So the positive impacts, if any, that we've talked about will typically fade away within a few days of doing that unconscious bias training. And then what's worse is we've seen something called moral hazarding. So you as a human think you've sat an unconscious bias training, suddenly you're debiased, And then you go back to resorting to daily decision making that you would do anyway. But now you feel good about yourself because you're debiased. And that's the worst outcome that you expect from someone because they have been made aware of the problem and now they think they've solved the problem.
0: I'm thinking of some famous studies where they have people that have had open heart surgery or lung cancer because of smoking and they treat these people and they say to them, you must stop smoking, you must stop drinking. So their awareness level is really high. But guess what? They come out of hospital and before you know it, the smoking and drinking game. So, awareness in and of itself is not moving the dial for action, is it? No,
1: it completely. And it's the same example that you can translate from healthcare because we brought up healthcare. It's when we talk about five a day, and people, we've been talking about five a day for years. At five a day, no. That's why when you go to schools so or children are given plates with the sections cut off of five a day with the portions measured. Because it's just a guardrail that helps you take the decision better in that moment. So
0: we pulled apart unconscious bias training as that is. So what's a more effective way for accounting firms particularly to get the culture right, to get the recruitment right, and make sure they're overcoming these biases?
1: Well, the first thing is definitely understand where the biases are coming in from your recruitment journey.
0: How do you do that?
1: Well, there are a lot of companies that help you with an audit. Uh, Applied also enables you with some sort of audit, which is not a fully elaborate DEI audit which are some other companies are doing that.
0: But audits a word that accountants will recognise, so that's a good start. It's to see where you are and benchmark what you've got and where the, the gaps might be, so that's good.
1: Applied helps you do that with the recruitment process in particular. So we'll ask you where you are in your journey, what have you done, what data you have from before, and then we'll start working with you. Uh, so the first step, yes, understand where you are and audit of your journey, your data, what you have, what's important to you. And then you start biasing or removing bias from various parts of the funnel, only when you have that data. So you have to start with that data and with that
0: conversation. Kerti, what will happen to the firms that fail to get a handle on this? They're either unwilling to do it, they're unable to do it, their culture doesn't allow it, they're perhaps complacent about it, they don't feel it's even a problem. What does the future look like for them? In
1: short term, they might not feel it as much. But longer term, in a more sustainable world of work, I think they will struggle to attract talent from all over.
0: Because countries are moving around, cultures are coming down, diversity, equity, inclusion is becoming more and more of an issue. They will struggle to attract and retain the right talent and thus be competitive.
1: Yeah, definitely. They will not have the right talent. They will see talent leaving themselves in favour of other companies that are more transparent, more culture driven. We always talk about people who care deeply about people and are culture-driven or culture-led that applied. These are the kind of customers we see are attracting more and more talent, even if they're in really what we would call boring industries like finance or construction. That's what we're seeing, and there's a shift because people are picking employers that resonate with their values, much less picking the brand of the company or the paycheck. You've got
0: some great resources on unconscious bias on your beapplied.com website and we'll put the links to that in the show notes particularly the infographic that you've done which is fascinating. I've got a couple more questions for you Kiati before we leave and one is in but your advice for the individual. I'm going to ask you about the firm in a minute and what can they do to make the hiring process and the culture fairer but for the individual themselves how can I question myself and move myself forward in any unconscious biases that I might have? Well,
1: the first step we've already talked about that the awareness. So it's the conversation is very important. So if you do have access to an unconscious bias training, or you can have a chat about unconscious bias with your circle of friends or someone else, that'll be really important to start that conversation. There's lots of books now you've talked about critical race theory, people can start reading about this. There's, There's one book in particular that I really love That I've read recently it's called invisible women and it's by an ethnic minority author and there's lots of books around that you can use to educate yourself as an individual about the problem space I don't think one particular individual can solve the problem but awareness and starting of an understanding of the problem is where the individuals can really begin
0: Yeah, people just might want to be better as individuals and make sure that they haven't got any innate prejudices that are stopping them from being a better manager, a better boss, a better employee. So we get that. It starts with awareness. It starts with a conversation. I I get that. So talk about the wider picture of leaders, managers, owners, people in hiring positions. What steps can firms easily take to make their hiring process a lot further? There's
1: there's quite a few things that, leaders of organizations can do there's the tangible bits which we can talk about but there's on a higher level the sixty thousand foot view is it it is that culture it is do you have a sense of philosophy or mission in the organization that you're drawing people to and does it really manifest itself as we care about the people we care about the organization because the organization is made of people and that is the philosophy that we're seeing Those are the employers that are doing better. Those are the employers that are attracting better talent. So it's it's genuinely asking yourself, what kind of culture do you want to create? Not everyone wants to create a positive fit for 2050 culture. And we have to acknowledge that. Some people are okay with what they have today. So it is an understanding of what culture, what philosophies they want to create. That is a high level thing. The more tangible bits are how do you build that recruitment process and the culture process. And even post-recruitment, how do you build a fairer progression process where more women are taking to the top of the leadership ladder. And that comes from having more data, anonymizing things where needed, testing for skills where needed, and all of these kinds of things which can be widely grouped with more education, more mentoring, more training and development. So it is it is not like a one-size-fits-all. And unfortunately, there is no
0: silver bullet. It speaks to employer brand too, doesn't it? We've done a lot of that on this show, um, the importance of making your firm a great place to work not just from the outside to external candidates, but on the inside so that people stay and people come to you from other accounting firms where that employer brand is not so strong. And if you've got all of these issues ironed out, then you will be a great place to work.
1: Completely. I mean, that's what the new workforce wants. It wants, it values and desires for better places to work, more flexibility, more transparency, as we've talked about. And a lot of the ways in which companies operate their recruitment process is a big culture of that transparency. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's about making those changes, starting at the grassroots level, perhaps at the individual level within the organization, but then at the wider scale across the organization.
0: And just a final point I've just thought of, our listeners would want me to ask you, in today's hybrid world, working remotely, where it's often difficult to drive culture... Does that make it more difficult to avoid unconscious biases or does that make things easier? I think
1: it does make it difficult because we are a lot more times on Zoom. It is difficult to establish rapport. As humans, we do prefer working in person. So there will be disparity in the way relationships progress in the organization. And we have a lot of conversation within this internally. I talk to other founders, we've talked to VCs. Everyone is grappling with the same issue. How do you think about building a culture, building progression, when you won't even meet these people for the next six, eight, ten months? And maybe the people you meet more, are they getting preferential treatment? And that's very, very difficult to uncover and solve for. But I think we're all expecting this change and we're all learning on it together. So we'll see how it goes.
0: Well, Kiaty Sundaram, you've certainly put this on our agenda and raised our awareness of unconscious bias in the accounting Well, thank you so much for your passion and your expertise today. That's been terrific.
1: Thanks, Rob. Such a great conversation. Thanks again.
0: Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track.
1: Your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals
0: world class. Thank you for listening to this new Talent in Accounting podcast. This is a relatively new show, but already has over a thousand listeners. So we appreciate you tuning in and sharing the show with your connections. If you have a potentially good guest you'd like to see on the show with some great insights on talent, reach out to me on LinkedIn with a message and we'll follow them up. And as we build this show up, we're looking for a couple of sponsors for whom talent, And the accounting finance space is important. Loads of great opportunities to get your brand out there and show your key messages and even get some of your own guests on the show. Again, drop me a message on LinkedIn to tee up that conversation. And for great podcast content elsewhere, make sure you subscribe to our main show, Accounting Influencers goes out every Monday and join the 40,000 listeners in 150 countries for brilliant interviews with the top leaders, experts and influencers in the accounting and fintech world. Finally, why don't you join us and our community with some conversations at our next virtual speed networking session. These are now taking place every two months for accounting finance and tech professionals 75 minutes of speed dating great discussions raising your personal profile making new connections go to accountinginfluencers.com to register your free place for our next event thanks for tuning in have a great day